church family, let's take our Bibles and let's head for the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1. If you'll take your Bible or your phone or whatever you're working with, join me in Mark chapter 1. If you need a Bible today, just raise your hand and Don will make sure that we get a copy of God's Word into your hands. There's a note page in your bulletin if you would retrieve that because I think that might be of some help along the way. And then as well, one more, more favor to ask before we get going, and that is if your cell phone hasn't been silenced, could you do that for us? We know you're popular, and you're going to probably get a lot of calls here in the next hour, but uh, we won't, won't share those with you. So, so if you could silence that phone, that would be great. If you were with us last Sunday, you know that we were out at Herky Creek and doing church under the big blue. And while out at Herky Creek, we... We took a break from our recently embarked upon study of the Gospel of John. So today, church family, we return back to our study of John's Gospel. We take up where we left off last time, and that was we're going to be in verses 19 to 38 of chapter 1 this morning. But your Bible is open to Mark in this moment. So you're wondering, so Tim, why is my Bible open to Mark if we are studying the Gospel of John? And the answer is because Mark's going to give us some information here at the very beginning that will help to orient us. He's going to give us the backdrop for what we're going to be sharing together in just a few moments. So he's going to, he's going to put us into a time and a space and a context that will be advantageous for us to know about as we step into John. So Mark first, and then we'll be running over to John. So Mark chapter 1, beginning of verse 1, here is what we read. And I'm going to We'll put this up on the screen for us, but I will be reading as well, and I'm going to read out of the ESV, the English Standard Version, this morning. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John, that's John the Baptist, appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. In other words, John's a different dude. Okay, he just does life a little bit differently than everybody else. Verse seven, and he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he, that is John, saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. And church family, we'll stop our reading of Mark right there. So Mark begins his gospel by taking us to that moment where the Lord Jesus steps into his public ministry. 
after living in almost total obscurity for 30 years. For Mark, the baptism of Jesus with the involvement of John the Baptist is where he begins his gospel. That moment where God the Father audibly announces that he is pleased with his son's devotion, his son's determination to redeem a sinful humanity. That's where Mark begins his gospel as he's directed by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle John now takes a similar approach to Mark, not identical, but similar. So let's leave Mark's gospel. We've got a little bit of a background and a context. Let's leave Mark's gospel, jump over Luke, go to the right in your Bible, jump over Luke's gospel and find John chapter 1. Now the reason I say that John takes a similar but not identical approach to Mark is because John doesn't start his gospel with John the Baptist and with Jesus' baptism. However, by verse 19 of chapter 1, he's ready to do just that, as we will see in a moment. But John starts, just by way of a little bit of a refresher for us, he starts with an extraordinary presentation of Jesus as God. You remember this? If you're a regular part of our church family, these first 18 verses are just mind-blowing. He wants us to know, John does, that from the moment that we read the first line of his gospel, he wants us to know who Jesus really is, that he is God, that he is God in human flesh, God in a human body. He'll say that in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he'll tell us that that the word pours out grace on top of grace. It's a reference to salvation, verses 16 and 17. He wants us reading every chapter of his gospel, knowing from the very beginning that the God who made the world and gives life to everything clothed himself in human skin so that he could make it possible for sinners to become children of God. And he says that in verse 12, children of God. God's gift to, to us is his son so that you and I can become sons and daughters of the most high God. So John's laying all of this heavy theological truth about Jesus out for us in these first 18 verses. And so having made this extraordinary declaration that Jesus is God, and that he's come into our world on a rescue mission to save sinners, John knows, he knows, that he's now got to back up this extraordinary 18-verse declaration with proof. You can't just say something and not back it up. And that's why, beginning in verse 19, John shifts gears, and just like in a court of law, he's going to call up witnesses witness after witness throughout the rest of his gospel who will testify about Jesus and give proof to what he has said about him already. And he does this so that when he gets to the end of his gospel, he can write these words, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, But these are written so that you may what? You may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life, eternal life in his name. 
Now, John is going to present witnesses to testify about Jesus. And the very first witness that he's going to call to the stand, figuratively speaking, is going to be John the Baptist. So look again in your Bible, chapter 1, verses 6, 7, and 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, that is John the Baptist, and he came as a what, church? He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. Who's the light? Jesus, that all might believe through him. That is through John's testimony about Jesus. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So having teased us now with that brief introduction of John a couple of mornings ago, wow, he steps right into John's life and ministry beginning at verse 19. New ground for us. Let's see what the Lord has for us today. Verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And so they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you, this is such an important phrase, but among you stands one you don't know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And we'll stop right there. There's more for us this morning, but we'll stop right there for right now. As the apostle John goes looking for witnesses to affirm that Jesus is God in human skin, the first place he goes is to John the Baptist. And he's a good choice. He needs a credible witness that his readers can believe. And John is certainly going to be that. He is a credible witness. He's the very last of the Old Testament prophets. There hasn't been a prophet in Israel for 400 years until John comes on the scene. He comes from a family of of priests that go way back, generation after generation. He comes from a priestly family. His birth was extraordinary. If you know anything about John's birth, you know it it was miraculous, quite frankly. Um, An angel comes to his parents, to Elizabeth and to Zacharias. They're childless. They're way beyond childbearing years. And this angel says, you're going to have a son. And then the angel says that John is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. Now, there's a lot right in that moment. But then the angel goes on to say, he'll come in in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the people back to God and to prepare them for the arrival of the Messiah. Don't forget that phrase. He'll come in the spirit and power of Elijah. 
Luke tells us about that in his gospel. Remember that. And then on top of all of this other credentials that John brings with him, on top of that, you need to know that he's a guy who's completely detached from the religious system of Israel and detached from the leadership, the spiritual leadership of Israel that has grown to become so self-serving and power-hungry. John lived out in the desert. Mark told us that. He's, he dresses really weird. He eats really weird food, right? I mean, anybody in his day would say, John's a weirdo. That guy's out on the fringe. He's not, he's just, he's weird. And, 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 and so what, we say when we're, what we're saying by that is that, man, he's untainted by the religious rules, by the religious system of Israel. He comes in with a blank slate. He's not going to be manipulated by the Jewish religious establishment. That's going to be very important. So this is the man that John looks to to be his lead-off witness for us readers of the gospel. If you're going to identify somebody to bring proof to back you up, Pick the most credible person that you can. Well, that's exactly what John the Apostle has done in putting John the Baptist in front of us. So we notice the first thing that John does is he establishes John's, John the Baptist's identity. And you see that there on your note page. Beginning of verse 19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Now, Jerusalem, as you know, it's ground zero for the Jewish religion. The people in power, well, they're called the Sanhedrin. It's a council of 70 of Israel's religious elite, priests, Old Testament law experts, Pharisees, Sadducees. They control Israel's religious life, the temple. They control the money. They have the power. They have the connections with Rome to be able to stay in power. And John's been out at the Jordan River for some time attracting great crowds with his message, get ready. Get ready, Israel, because God's promised deliverer, the Messiah, the Christ, he is near at hand. I mean, he's, he's, he's near. And because John has no ties at all with the Sanhedrin, and he never has, well, the Sanhedrin doesn't know who he is. But one thing is for sure. His message and his baptism of repentance is attracting way too much attention for the likings of the Sanhedrin. And so they send out a delegation to the Jordan River and they confront John. Who are you? What they're actually asking John is, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ promised from God through the Old Testament prophets? Are you him? We know this is their question because of the way John answers in verse 20. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Though it doesn't come out so much in our English version, John's denial here is super strong in the Greek text. It's like John is saying, no, no, absolutely not. I am not the Messiah. No way am I him. Verse 21, and they asked him, why then, or what then, are you Elijah? I am not him. I'm not Elijah. Same, super strong negative. 
Now, why did the delegation ask this question? It's because they're Old Testament law experts. They, they know the Old Testament like the back of their hand. And they know that in Malachi chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, the last two verses of the Old Testament, they know that it ends with God stating that before the coming of the Messiah in judgment, known as the great and terrible day of the Lord, Elijah is going to come first. They know this. Are you Elijah? I am not. I am I'm definitely not Elijah. I'm not Elijah operating under a different name in the moment. That's not me. Now, a few moments ago, I asked you to remember that an angel, when announcing to Elizabeth and Zacharias that they'd have a son, the angel said, he will come in the spirit and power of Elijah, right? He'll come with the same boldness and the same thunder in his preaching, with the same call to a spiritually lost Israel to repent and turn back to God that Elijah had come to Israel with in 1 Kings. He'll come like that. Now, there's a lot more we could say, but it's important in this moment to know that prior to the coming of Jesus to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin, there is John. And he comes in the spirit and power of Elijah. But he's not Elijah. At the second coming of Jesus, as the crucified, risen, King of kings and Lord of lords, who will come to judge an unbelieving world, the actual Old Testament Elijah is going to come first. And he's going to fulfill Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. He'll fulfill that prophecy. That's still out in the future, isn't it? That's when Jesus comes back. Do you believe he could come back today? He could come back today. Before he comes back, though, Elijah will come first. John says, I'm definitely not that Elijah. Well, then, are you the prophet? Verse 21. Are you the prophet? And again, these Old Testament experts dig into the scriptures and they pull up Deuteronomy 18.15 where Moses foretells about a prophet who will come and speak the very words of God. Everyone understood that to be referring to the Messiah. John's already told them, I'm not the Messiah. But the delegation gives it one more try. They come at it from another angle. Are you the prophet? John says, No way, I'm not the prophet. Verse 22, so they said to him, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Now, again, church family, understand that the issue that's behind all of these questions is really this. What in the world do you think you're doing baptizing these masses of people, calling them out, calling their hearts to get right with God, stirring them up in this way. Who gives you that authority? Again, the Sanhedrin is all about control. They're all about religious and political control, about power and authority. And and John's not, he's not playing by the rules. He never has. He's outside the system, remember? Out doing his thing in in the desert, eating weird food and doing all of that. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John says, okay, okay, 
You're asking? So I'll tell you. Verse 23. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. You want to know who I am and what I'm about? I'm just a voice. That's all. Just a voice. He quotes Isaiah 40, verse 3. I am the fulfillment of that prophecy. The prophecy that there would come before the Messiah, a voice crying in the wilderness. Now, church family, while it's true that John is is out in the wilds of the Judean desert on the banks of the Jordan River, what we could call a wilderness, the real wilderness that John is talking about, he's crying out to a spiritual wilderness. National Israel's spiritual life has become by this time in its history so barren so bankrupt, so, so, so much like a spiritual wilderness. It's like a parched desert. Rule-keeping without a relationship with God. Performance without a, a personal walk with God. Just doing the rules of religion, but there's no life. And this is where the, the nation has come to as a result of its leadership. It starts from the top and it trickles down. John says, you want to know who I am? I'm I'm coming into a wilderness and I'm a voice crying out in this spiritual wilderness. My job is to cry out to you and make your heart ready, wide open to the coming of, of the Messiah. The Messiah is on his way. I'm telling you now, get ready. Confront every place where sin lurks in your life. Every place where spiritual pride and complacency might live in your heart. Every place where you're trusting in you and you're not trusting in God. Every crooked, perverted place. Confront it. Confess it. Repent of it. Get ready. The Messiah is coming. That's the voice. I'm only a voice, but that's that's my cry. Church family, I would submit to you that John's call and cry are as needed in our day as they ever were needed in Israel's day. Our times truly are a spiritual wilderness. Are they not? Not only is that true for our our larger culture, it's so twisted and contorted and, and, and bent out of shape by sin, it's not straight. But you know, within the church, within the American church, much that should be straight is crooked, right? The American church is is in a desperate place as well. The same warning, the same appeal that John makes needs to fall on our ears, brothers and sisters. This isn't just for somebody else. This is for us too often careless, too often compromising, too often accommodating. Many within the church are not ready for the return of the Messiah. Our message, the message that we need is Messiah's on his way. 
He's on his way. He could come sooner than any of us think. Confront every place where sin lurks in and hides in your life. Every place where spiritual pride and complacency lives. Every place where you're trusting in you and not in God. Every crooked, perverted place. Confront, confess, repent. Get ready. He's coming. Right? John's message is as timely for us as it was for first century Israel, for sure. John says, I'm only a voice, though. I'm only a voice. Now, he was baptizing people in the Jordan River. It was a baptism of repentance, John or Mark told us when we read his account. It was an outward way for people to say, John, we hear you. We hear you. We believe you're calling us to get ready for the Messiah. And, and we, wanna, we want our hearts to be right with you with that. And even more, the people, when they would immerse themselves in the water, they were saying, I want to be washed clean. I want this to be an outward sign of what I really want in my life. I want a clean heart, a, a heart that's ready, one that will not be found by God to be offensive to him because so much sin lurks in it. It would be a heart that the Messiah would would be delighted to, to see. I want that. And so by their baptism of repentance, that's what they were saying. But it was a baptism that the Sanhedrin certainly had not signed off on. And they were not happy. God was honored, but the Sanhedrin was not happy. Verse 25, they asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet, why are you baptizing? You can just hear it in their voice. Who do you think you are, right? You're not the Messiah. We might allow the Messiah to do this. We're not sure, but we might. You're not Elijah. We might expect Elijah to do this, but you say you're not Elijah. You're not the prophet. You don't have the authority to do this. That's really what they're saying to John. And John's response essentially is this. This is so cool. He says, you guys are making way too much of me. You're making way too much of me. Verse 26. John answered, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. In other words, why are you so focused on me? Why are you so caught up with me? This really has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with someone else. And and the beauty of this church family is that John just deflects this whole moment completely away from himself. He's humble. He's selfless. He wants no titles. He wants no honors, no money, no comforts. Literally, he doesn't want a comfortable life. He wants no followers. He wants no disciples. I'm a voice. I'm I'm just a voice. All he wants to do is point to to Jesus. That's it. And that is exactly what he does. Church family, on the note page that you have near the bottom, do you see the heading, three days, three messages? 
Are you with me? Everybody say yes. We're, we're on board with you. Great. So as the Apostle John sets before us his first witness, he deliberately is going to focus, John the disciple, John the Apostle who's writing the gospel, is going to deliberately focus on just three days out of the entire amazing, enduring ministry of John the Baptist, just three days. And he's going to focus on just these three days because they actually represent everything that John the Baptist is about. On each of these three days, which each happen one right after the other, John the Baptist is going to deliver a message. He gives a message on day one, another message on day two, a third message on day three. And together, these three messages are going to become the perfect outline for anyone in any age who desires to make Jesus known. It'll be the perfect outline for you and me to use as we desire to make Jesus known in our time. So on day one, he says, he's here, he's here. Verse 26, but among you stands one you don't know. You don't know him yet, but he's here. That's day one. On day two, John will say, see him for who he really is. Verse 29, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, see, look at him. He's the Lamb of God. And then on day three, verses 35 to 37, John essentially says to some of his own disciples, follow him. Don't follow me. Follow him. Brothers and sisters, I, again, I would submit to you that this is, this is the, the message we want to share with an unbelieving idol world. God is here in the person of Jesus See him for who he really is, a savior, and follow him. Three days, three messages. Now, we've already been hanging out in day one, marked by the interrogation of the Jerusalem bunch, marked by the beautiful humility of John. Just a voice. I'm nothing more. Just a voice. But before the day is done, John makes sure to use his voice to communicate something loud and clear to these religious leaders. His first message, verse 26, among you stands one who you don't know. Among you right now is somebody you need to know. He is here. He's here. Why are you caught up with me? I'm just a man. I'm just a voice. But he's among us right now. The Messiah is present. He's already here. Now, John doesn't mean that Messiah Jesus is standing there on the banks of the Jordan River in this moment. He means he's actually stepped into time. He's with us. He's put on flesh. He's here. He's in the land. He's arrived. He's super close. In fact, at the very moment that John is making this statement in verse 26, Jesus is actually making his way to where John is. He'll arrive tomorrow, the next day. It was some 40 days earlier that John had baptized Jesus. What we read in Mark chapter 1, that all happened 40 days 
before these three days unfold. So just so you orient yourself in time, John the Baptist reluctantly baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, signaling the beginning of his public ministry, the voice from heaven declaring that God was pleased with his son's obedience, the Holy Spirit visibly descending on Jesus. John knew in that moment, 40 days earlier, the Messiah is here. He's here. He's here. He's been identified. He's present. Now, that's the first great message that John gives. And this is really where all gospel witness starts. It's where it starts for you and me. God put on flesh, and he's here. Is that not where we start? God put on flesh, and his name is Jesus. Get past the messenger. Focus on the one the messenger's telling you about. I'm pointing you to him. He's here. Well, this word from John, that Messiah has come, would have gone immediately back to Jerusalem, back to the Sanhedrin. Every one of Israel's spiritual leaders would have heard what John was announcing. The Messiah is here. And why is that important, church? That's important because what that does is it leaves those Jewish religious leaders without any excuses going forward. None are going to be able to say, we didn't know Messiah has come. Nobody told us. Well, that's not true. John had told them. He's here. And so from the top down, Israel is put on notice. Messiah's on the scene. Unfortunately, this news is not going to change the hearts of the Sanhedrin at all. In fact, their hostility towards this news and indeed toward the person of Jesus is going to only increase and it will increase all the way to the cross, won't it? They just become more and more and more angry the more they learn about Jesus. But the message, he's here, he's come. Man, that message stands forever, doesn't it? And that's our message, church. That's our message. It's your message, mine, to our community, to our Idlewild. He's here. He's come. Let's step into day two. It starts with verse 29. and, And the audience for this message is not the Sanhedrin, but the many hundreds, if not thousands, who have come out to Bethany beyond the Jordan to hear John and repent in anticipation of Messiah's arrival. Verse 29. The next day, day two, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world! Exclamation point. And I can just imagine John belting that out, pointing his finger. Look! Look! This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. He's God. He's before time. He ranks before me. I myself didn't know him. But for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. So as we read back in Mark chapter 1, the Holy Spirit identifies Jesus to John in this amazing way. 
The Holy Spirit comes down in a visible way and it settles upon Jesus. The Holy Spirit settles on Jesus. Now, there's a lot more we could do with that. We could take a whole morning talking about that. Verse 33, though. I myself did not know him until that moment. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is the Messiah. Day one, message one, he's here. Day two, message two, look at him. Look at this man. He is the Lamb of God. Behold. What an exclamation. Look at him. See him. Take him in. Take in the reality of who he is. He's here and he's the Lamb of God. Now, church family, my guess is that this is not what the crowd expected John to say. Why would the Messiah, long promised by the prophets, be a lamb? Messiah was, was going to be the deliverer of God's people. Lambs are weak and helpless and powerless. And, 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 and in the people's minds, lambs were made for sacrifice. They were made for dying. The Messiah is a lamb? They think, maybe we didn't hear John right. They would have expected John to say, Behold, your king! Behold, the triumphant one! Behold, the, the majestic one, the exalted one, the, 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 the ruler of Israel in the future! Behold, the anointed one! He's here! John says, Behold, the Lamb of God! again John the Apostle is calling upon John the Baptist to bear witness about the true identity of Jesus well he can do no more and do it no more beautifully or more powerfully than to announce that the God man is the Lamb that from the very beginning the plan was for Jesus to be a liberator of souls a deliverer of sinners from the guilt and the penalty of their sin. The Lamb of God. See Jesus for who He really is. That was John's message. The Lamb as a substitute for the sin of the people was so ingrained into the thinking of Israel. It goes clear back, all the way back to Abraham and Isaac and God providing a substitute in Genesis 22. Do you remember that moment? Yeah, there's the Exodus and the Passover lamb that was sacrificed. And every year, all the people in Israel would, would, would celebrate Passover and they would remember the sacrificed lamb. The people had all of them many times in their experience. They had offered sacrifices at the temple for personal sin in their lives. They had offered up lambs as a sacrifice for their own sin. Every morning, every evening at the temple, lambs were slain by the priests as an offering for sin. And the smoke would rise up and the people would see it. Century after century after century, over and over and over again, millions of lambs sacrificed for sin. The people knew this. They understood this. 
All that sacrifice for sin was well known. But all of it, church family, all of it was simply imagery pointing to the day when God would send one last great sacrifice for sin into the world and his name would be Jesus. The blood of animals could never atone for human sin. It could never take away sin's guilt. It could just point to the one who could. This is so clear in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. We'll put it up on the screen for us here. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly, oh, there's that word, the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, offered himself, he sat down at the right hand of God. And we should be saying amen and amen. John was announcing out at the Jordan that the Messiah had arrived. He was here. And then he points him out and he says, Behold, look at him. He is God's sinless son. And he has come from God to pay a sin debt. He didn't know, but all of you did owe. People are looking for a king. They're going to get a lamb. The people want a strong leader. They're going to get a a substitute for their sin. They want an exalted Messiah. They're going to receive a humiliated sacrifice. They want one who will kill all of their enemies. They're going to get one who will be killed by his enemies. John shouts, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The world. What that means is that the whole that in the whole world, there's only one who can take away sin. And his name is Jesus. Certainly the crowd this day, in all fairness, they didn't understand all of this. But it doesn't stop John from declaring it as the message that leads to eternal life. And that's our message too, isn't it, church? He's here. He's here. See him for who he really is, the Lamb of God. He's here. See him. Well, all of this brings us then to day three and message three. He's here. See him accurately and then what church what's what's the third message follow him follow him verse 35 the next day day three again john was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at jesus as he walked by the by and he said behold the lamb of god the two disciples heard him say this and they followed jesus Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And we're going to stop right there. It's another day out at the Jordan for John, calling people to repent and get their hearts ready for the Messiah. Two men have attached themselves to John's ministry. They're with him right now. John's a teacher, John had followers. Disciples, here are two of them. 
But the question in the moment is, who are they? Well, we know one of them is Andrew because we're going to get told that in verse 40. So one of the two is, is, is Andrew. The other disciple is not named. Guess who, or well, who do you think he is? Who do you think it is? It's John. It's the John who writes this gospel. So it's Andrew and John who have attached themselves to the Baptist's ministry. Somehow they're, they're connected to him and to his message. Bible scholars across the, just across the page all believe this is the Apostle John. As we noted before, John never mentions his name in his gospel, not even one time. And he's true to form in this moment. He's not going to tell us, I'm one of those two guys. So John the Baptist looks up and he sees Jesus. Now, can you imagine what that would be like if you knew you were looking at God in the flesh? What would you do? Behold! The Lamb of God! That's that's him right there! Now, keep in mind, this is the John who said to those religious leaders... You're making too much of me. I'm nobody. I'm I'm just a voice unworthy even to untie Messiah's sandal strap. It's all about the Messiah who is here now with us. John has zero interest in, in grooming disciples for himself. He wants everything pointing away from him and to Jesus, right? Is that not the goal of your life and mine? Everything pointing away from us and to Jesus. So when John looks up and he sees Jesus, I get the distinct impression that when he says, Behold the Lamb of God, he says that in such a distinct way that it comes across to Andrew and John as Behold the Lamb of God. What in the world are you doing hanging around with me? That's what I think he's saying. I think that's what the disciples hear. The Lamb of God. The Messiah. What in the world would you hang out with me for anymore? And the reason I say that is because immediately upon hearing this, these two, in verse 37, drop whatever it was they were doing with John and they follow Jesus. And you got to know that word follow is a Greek word that means once and for all decisive action, never going back. Totally in. Totally in. See you, man. That's exactly right. And that's confirmed in verse 38. Jesus sees them following him. He asks what they want. They say, Rabbi, where are you staying? In other words, this isn't a short-term interest on their part. Wherever you go, wherever you're staying, that's where we're going and that's where we're staying. How cool is that? So John the Baptist has done his job and he's done it beautifully. This isn't about me. He's here. See him. He's the son of God. He's the lamb. Follow him. Stay with him. That's as pure and blessed a proclamation of the true gospel message that you and I will ever get. It's our message, isn't it? It's our message to an unbelieving world. 
God came. He's here. See Him for who He really is and for what He's done for sinners. Lived sinlessly, died sacrificially, rose victoriously and offers eternal life freely. See Him for who He really is and follow Him. Amen? John faithfully pointed to the Lamb. So too can we, church family. We can point to the Lamb. May it be so. Let's pray together. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. Thank you for the gospel of John. And thank you for John the Baptist, an amazing figure that, that even to most of us kind of remains a little bit of a, of a mystery and an enigma. We don't understand him real well at times, but this morning you have peeled back the layers a little bit for us and we understand enough. He was your messenger to proclaim the arrival of, of our Savior He's here. We've seen him. We know who he is. And we have followed him. Thank you. And this is the message we bring to Idlewild. Make it so, Heavenly Father, by our words and by our actions, make it so. May we be clear proclaimers of these three great truths that took place on these three days. And Lord, in this room right now, if there's anyone in this room who has yet to settle the question of who Jesus is in their life, May today be the day and now be the time when they believe with all of their heart that you came, you put on flesh, you died their death at the cross, you rose victorious, and may they follow you all the way into eternal life. How we thank you for you, Lord Jesus. All glory be to you, for you are our lamb. And all God's people said...